CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers of genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Cher Martinetti, and this is Sci-Fi Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. In some ways, the name of this show is a complicated one. Because while not all of these women have been forgotten, some of them have been conveniently left out of a narrative that's so often pushed online in fandom. That the presence of women in major sci-fi franchises will cause a seismic shift in the stories written and delivered to fans. But the truth is that women were, and have been, a part of these franchises from the very beginning creating and shaping some of the most well-known characters in science fiction history. Enter the late, great D.C. Fontana. Dorothy Catherine Fontana was born in 1939 and was bitten by the creative bug very early in life. By 11, she decided she wanted to be a novelist. Beginning what would eventually become a lifelong career, she started out writing horror stories starring herself and her friends. Later, she attended Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey and graduated with an executive secretarial degree. This decision put her in the path of some of the most important people in the industry. Her first job out of college was as the junior secretary to the president of Screen Gems, a TV and film studio that has since come to be known for its output of genre movies, though she eventually left that gig to work in the typing pool at Review Studios in Los Angeles. She worked as a secretary to TV writer Samuel A. Peoples, best known for his role on the show Overland Trail. It was here that Fontana's television writing career would officially launch. In the early 60s, when she was 21 years old, she sold her first story called A Bounty for Billy and would sell six ideas to various Western shows during this time. It was during this period that Fontana decided to sell and write stories under her initials of DC, rather than her full name, in order to avoid being rejected because of her gender. She was one of the very few women working as a writer in the TV industry, and prejudicial bias often led to many of her scripts being judged solely on her byline alone. But the next job she applied for would lead to arguably the most defining role of her career. Gene Roddenberry is a name most associated with a very famous sci-fi franchise, but the first show he ever actually produced was called The Lieutenant. It was there that Fontana landed. First, as a secretary to Del Reisman, a producer on the series, and then for Roddenberry himself. Although The Lieutenant was canceled after only one season, Fontana was brought on to Roddenberry's next project, a little show called Star Trek. Space, the final frontier. There, she was signed her first episode, season one's Charlie X. In a 2016 interview with Sci-Fi, Fontana said Roddenberry had come up with the story idea and then gave her the opportunity to write it. 
According to Fontana, Roddenberry said, you've been on the show since the very beginning, since I started it. What would you like to do? She replied, I want to write Charlie X. It was Fontana's first credited teleplay on Star Trek and would air as the second ever episode on the original series broadcast. In September 1966, in the middle of the show's first season, she was promoted to story editor. Her work can be seen both credited and uncredited in episodes like Tomorrow is Yesterday, This Side of Paradise, Journey to Babel, Friday's Child, and The Ultimate Computer. Although Fontana officially left the Star Trek writing team before season three, she continued to supply episodes as a freelance writer while occasionally penning episodes for other shows. It was her later episodes, however, where she is most often credited for further fleshing out the character of the Vulcan science officer known simply as Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy. Fontana went on record several times to state that out of all the characters on Trek, Spock was her favorite to write for. In the same interview with Sci-Fi, she explained, Spock kind of spoke to me because of his problematic interior. How do I be a Vulcan? How do I be a human? Oh, well, I'm going to suppress the human side. I'm going to be all Vulcan. But then that human side in This Side of Paradise and in Journey to Babel both come out. This Side of Paradise had initially been planned as a love story for another character. But per Fontana, she decided to tell it in a different way. I came up with the idea that this was not a Sulu love story with Leila Kalami. This was a Spock love story. And Gene Roddenberry, when I came to him and said, sorry, it's not George, it's got to be Leonard. He said, go write it. Meanwhile, Journey to Babel introduced even more of Spock's backstory with the first on-screen appearance of his human mother and Vulcan father, played by Jane Wyatt and Mark Lennard. In his autobiography, Nimoy would praise Fontana specifically for expanding Vulcan culture through the series. If I could give the transfusion without loss of time or efficiency, I would. Sarek understands my reason. Well, I don't. It's not human. Oh, that's not a dirty word. You're human, too. Let that part of you come through. Your father's dying. Mother, how can you have lived on Vulcan so long, married a Vulcan, raised a son on Vulcan, without understanding what it means to be a Vulcan? Well, if this is what it means, I don't want to know. It means to adopt a philosophy, a way of life, which is logical and beneficial. We cannot disregard that philosophy merely for personal gain, no matter how important that gain might be. But Fontana's time in genre television was only beginning. After reducing her presence in Star Trek, she pursued writing work elsewhere. And in 1969, she was nominated for a Writers Guild of America Award for the adventure series Then Came Bronson for an episode she wrote titled 2% of Nothing. Meanwhile, the frontier of Trek was continuing to expand even after the cancellation of the original series in 1969. When an animated version of the show debuted in 1973, Fontana was hired as story editor and executive producer, relaying story ideas to Roddenberry for his approval. Star Trek The Animated Series would go on to win a Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Children's Series in 1975. Fontana contributed to many of the most iconic genre shows airing in the 70s. In addition to working on the Logan's Run TV series, she also sold stories to several others, including The Million Dollar Man and Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Although most of her experiences writing for television were pleasant ones, she had a less than enjoyable time contributing to Battlestar Galactica. 
According to reports, Fontana was so unhappy with changes made to a script she had written for the episode Gun on Ice Planet Zero that she demanded to be credited under a pseudonym, which inspired others to push back and spurred an eventual strike, with several writers outright refusing to work on the show. When Roddenberry began work on his next planned Trek show, The Next Generation, he reached out to Fontana specifically to contribute. After pitching several story ideas, she wound up working on a teleplay based on one of Roddenberry's own suggestions, which would become the pilot episode Encounter at Farpoint. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. She was offered the role of story editor once again, but requested that she be made an associate producer on TNG instead. This caused some unfortunate conflicts due to her existing role in the Writers Guild of America, not to mention an eventual falling out between her and Roddenberry. Before she departed the show during the first season, she worked on two more episodes of the series, although her work on the episode known as The Naked Now was credited under a pseudonym. By then, her relationship with Roddenberry had become so contentious that Fontana reportedly recorded their conversations on tape. After leaving the show, she filed a claim with the WGA that she had never been adequately paid for her editing contributions, which technically didn't even fall under her original job description. In other words, she'd been overworked and underpaid, a trend that sadly remains all too common in Hollywood even today. But Fontana's presence on Star Trek continued to persist, even if she wasn't actively writing for the TV show. Over the years, she wrote various Star Trek novels, comics, and video game scripts, only further cementing her legacy in the universe. When she finally returned to Trek on the small screen, it was to pen an episode of Deep Space Nine titled Dax, which she received shared credit on with fellow $6 million man writer Peter Allen Fields. She also played a role in the early years of another sci-fi show that earned its own comparisons to Trek, Babylon 5. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2258. The name of the place is Babylon 5. When she started work on what would become the seventh episode of the first season, she worked directly with creator John Michael Straczynski to get a sense of the show's tone and voice. But her last credited writing role would involve her returning to the world for which she was most recognized. In 2006, she wrote an episode of the web series Star Trek New Voyages. D.C. Fontana passed away at the age of 80 on December 2, 2019, after a brief illness. Before her death, she had served as a senior lecturer at the American Film Institute. She became a recipient of the Morgan Cox Award by the WGA in 2002 and was a two-time inductee into the American Screenwriters Association in 1997 and 2002. Several voices from the Trek universe honored Fontana in the wake of her death, including the graphic designer Mike Okuda, who tweeted, quote, From Charlie X through this side of paradise and journey to Babel, she helped give life to the characters that we have loved. Star Trek's universe just got a little bit smaller with the passing of DC Fontana. And while it's true that the sci-fi community lost one of its pioneers with her death, there's so much more to consider in terms of what it also gained via her life richer stories for characters we all know and love, as well as Star Trek's most memorable early episodes. So before anyone tries to tell you that women haven't always played a role in shaping sci-fi from the very beginning, 
you'll be doing them a favor by directing them to literally every single story DC Fontana ever contributed, as well as this episode. Forgotten Women of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Fangirls. Today's episode was written by Carly Lane and read by Cher Martinetti. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at sci-fi fangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sci-fi fangirls.